In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some Sundays, it's easy to hear the Gospel reading and sing after it's done a full-throated, Praise to you, O Christ! Other days, our response to Jesus' words perhaps might be a bit more hesitant. The Gospel of our Lord? Really? Are you sure, Jesus? Maybe you had similar thoughts this morning when you heard the Gospel reading today. What are we to make exactly of Jesus' words, his teaching about millstones, mustard seeds, mulberry trees? What does this all mean? Well, there's two words I think that could help us summarize Jesus' teaching here in Luke 17. Forgiveness and faith. Here in Luke 17, Jesus has shifted the focus away from the Pharisees, who were the predominant aim of the last few chapters, back to his disciples and and apostles, the immediate twelve even in some parts of this chapter, teaching them about forgiveness and faith. So he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea that better than that if he would offend somebody. Take heed to yourselves, therefore, and if your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in that day comes to return to you, saying, I repent, you shall, you must, forgive him. Jesus begins with forgiveness, though not as we might expect, he does not begin with God's forgiveness here, though other parts of Scripture certainly and abundantly talk about that. But here it's God's, not God's forgiveness of the disciples, but their forgiveness of others, our forgiveness of our brother and sister who has sinned against us. After all, isn't it one thing to say, I believe God forgives me and he takes away all my sins and he doesn't hold them against me. And that's true and that's good. And we need and constantly need to hear that. But of course, the stumbling block that is talked about here is far different. It's true, of course, that God forgives all of our sins. Graciously. Abundantly. You could even say outrageously. But what Jesus is warning us about here, or warning against here, is when someone repents and then there is not given forgiveness. When there is unforgiveness. You see, it's quite another thing to say that when we're the ones forgiven, or when we're the ones sinned against, rather, that then we forgive others. C.S. Lewis, the famous Christian writer, once put it this way. He said that everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. And yet Jesus says, you must, you shall forgive him. The only antidote to forgiveness or to sin is forgiveness. You see, unforgiveness just keeps perpetuating and amplifying the sin. When we refuse to forgive our brother or sister that sinned against us, we're not really hurting them, although we are in a way by denying them forgiveness. But more so, we're hurting ourselves. Because we call into question the whole idea, the whole notion, the whole gift that God's forgiveness is unmerited and undeserved. And it is by grace. 
So Jesus is teaching his disciples that it is the church that is to be known as a mouth house, a place of God's undeserved forgiveness for outrageous sinners. And that is our aim as a congregation, as God's people, and also in our daily lives and our vocations. It's our hope and prayer that when people come to think about beautiful Savior, us as a congregation, or about us, Joe and Jane Christian, that the first thing that they think when they come to mind and they think about us is, that's a place, that is a church of God's forgiveness. Those are people, that's a person that is forgiving. You see, people who are forgiven much, love much, and also forgive much, too. This is simply the way of life in God's kingdom. God in Christ has forgiven us and continues to forgive us without any merit or worthiness in us. He forgives us even knowing full well that we will sin again. Forgives us recognizing and knowing that we are justified, righteous, and yet also sinners at the same time. Both saint and sinner. He forgives us entirely for Jesus' sake by his own blood, by his death, by his perfect life laid down and raised up again. You see, forgiveness, like the gift of faith that Jesus talks about next, doesn't come from within, doesn't originate from inside of us. It flows first from the merciful heart of Christ and then from us to others around us too. Jesus reconciles us with the Father makes it right with God, our Heavenly Father, and then reconciles us to our brothers and sisters in Christ when we sin against them and when they sin against us. And we pray for that word of forgiveness. After hearing Jesus' words on forgiveness, it's probably easy to see why then the apostles cried out to him, Lord, increase our faith, add to our faith the disciples are asking Jesus to add to that, to increase it. But notice what Jesus does not say about faith. He doesn't pull out a page of the favorite TV preachers and say, Well, listen, guys, if you just had more faith, if you had Costco ketchup-sized faith, you could do anything. But notice Jesus doesn't do that, does he? No, he says the opposite, in fact. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed... You could say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up, roots and all, and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. See, ironically, Jesus doesn't say we need a large faith or a big faith. He says we need a small faith. Mustard seed-like faith. Now, the thing about seeds, of course, is that they're small, and that means that most of the time they're hidden from sight. First in the package, and then once you stick them in the dirt, you know, a seed doesn't grow by watching it. You plant it in the ground, it's hidden, sometimes in the dirt for months and months on end, and then eventually, after some water and sunlight, it grows. So it is with faith. And I think this is the connecting point Jesus wants us to hear there, that Jesus doesn't give us a big faith that we might admire or boast in ourselves. He talks about faith like a mustard seed so that we see that faith is hidden in his cross instead. Faith that is buried like a seed with him in the dirt of his tomb and then springs to life again in his resurrection for us. Faith that comes by the sowing of that seed in, our, in Jesus' words that come to our ears and our hearts and our minds. And it takes root and grows and 
enlargens. Faith that is fed, forgiven, and nourished with the food of Jesus' body and blood. Faith that by his grace grows, even as we pray after communion every Sunday, or at least just about every Sunday. We pray that we would be blessed in faith towards our Lord and fervent love towards one another. Fervent forgiveness for one another. The disciples did get it, of course, right, at least half right anyway. Faith is something that they need God to work in them. Lord, increase our faith. We're right about that. Because it's not us that increases it. But of course, they also got a little part wrong. Faith can't be sized or quantified. Can't really take an inventory on it. It's not a matter of big faith or little faith, really. It's not like, maybe to use a strange analogy, leveling up in a video game like Super Mario. Faith does not look inward to ourselves, but outward to Christ. Because the moment we take our eyes off of ourselves, off of Christ, and look at ourselves, look inward in the mirror, then we are like Wiley Coyote when he realizes he's run off the cliff and has nothing to stand on. Faith in ourselves is always going to fail. Thankfully, however, faith, also like forgiveness that Jesus talked about earlier, is God's free, unmerited, undeserved, gracious gift for you. You see, Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. We've been hearing in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the merciful master of forgiveness and faith, the one who gives both freely as gift to us. Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for you. That's what he's talking about in that final part of the gospel reading to his disciples, how they are servants of others in their calling as they look to him, the true servant of all things. He's the suffering servant who bears our sins. By his wounds we are healed. He is the sinless son who came to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He's the merciful master who calls us his servants home from the field at the end of the day. He doesn't interrogate us about what we've done or haven't done. He doesn't make us wait on him. No, instead he serves us. Here he invites us to his table to seat, to dine with him, to receive him. He washes feet. He washes away sin. He feeds with his own body and blood a holy food and drink. And while we're busy saying, Lord, we are but unworthy servants, Jesus says to you today and every day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. For it is by God's free and unmerited, undeserved, unearned grace that he gives us those gifts of forgiveness and faith, and then in love we share those with others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <laughs>